Trinity Baptist Church. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, and if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset to Christ Jesus. By being in every nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Love is not self-seeking. The word of the Lord. You have 10 seconds to do this, all right? And it's not rocket science. You have 10 seconds, but I want you to get in groups of four or more four or five people, and I'm going to count it down. Don't overthink it. You've got 10 seconds. Ready, go. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay. Is everybody in a group of four or more? Okay. Again, not rocket science, and you have 20 seconds to do this. Someone in your group, take out a phone and take a group selfie of your group. Okay? You got 20 seconds. Ready, go. Group selfie. Come on. You got, you got 10 seconds left. Five, four, three... Two, one. Okay, everybody get a group selfie. Okay, now then, you've got 15 seconds as a group to look at your selfie. All right, ready, go. Five, four, three, two, one. All right. Now then, last thing. If you don't know everybody that you took a picture with, quickly introduce yourselves and then take a seat. Well, we'll see. 
Okay, so here's, here's my question for us. When you looked at that picture, who did you look for first? Right? Whenever we look at a group picture, we scan the picture and go, oh, there's me. And our tendency is, if I look good in the picture, it's a good picture. (laughs) And in fact, it's even a better picture if I'm the only one that looks good in the picture. If if people are cross-eyed and they got spinach in their teeth, you know, you're going, man, I look really good. See, the way that we look at, at group pictures tells us a lot about ourselves and it tells us a lot about the way that we look at life. Our tendency when we look at group photos is to look, find ourselves and if, it, if, if we look good, then it's a good picture and if we look bad, it's a bad picture and that's how a lot of us look at life. It's, um, it's through the, the lens of self, or we'll call it the, for this morning, the I lens, capital I. We, we look at circumstances through the I lens. If, if life is going how I want it or how I have it planned, then life's going good. But if it's not going the way I would like for it to go, then it's a bad picture. If we're honest, we we have to admit that generally speaking, we look at life through the eye lens. And our motto, again, generally speaking, more than we would like to admit, our motto for life is, it's all about me. The flight schedule is about me. The traffic is about me. The worship style is about me. The weather's about me. The work is about me. Whether or not I work is about me. Everything is filtered through the lens of self. We can, we can be so self-absorbed. But here's the thing. Life is not all about you. We know that intellectually, but... We don't often live that way. I love, this, I love this quote from a guy named John Holmes. He says, It is well to remember that the universe, with one trifling exception, is composed of others. <laughs> the universe, with one trifling exception, is composed of others. You see, what we have to understand is that life is not a self-portrait. Life is a group picture. And if we are going to experience the fullness of life that God has for us, we have to get that. We're in this series called True Love where we have been looking at, at the traits of what God's love for us, what true love really looks like from 1 Corinthians 13. 
And what we've seen is that, that true love is not about ourselves. True love is not about how I feel. But true love is choosing to give ourselves away so that we can enhance the lives of others. We've been, as we've been going through it, we've seen that true love is patient, that love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Last week we saw that, that true love is not rude, and this morning we're going to look at this thing that says true love is not self-seeking. And as I told um, the praise team this morning, I said, I hate this message. Because this gets all up in my stuff. When I was in college, I, uh, I w- volunteered in an organization called Young Life. And um, then after seminary, I actually went on staff with Young Life. It's a ministry that works with high school kids. And uh, one of the things that, that Young Life does better than anything else, any other ministry that I'm aware of, is they do uh, summer camps for kids that are just incredible. And so one summer while I was in college, I was taking a group of, of kids from this high school that I was working in in Snook, Texas, population 100. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. Um, and we, we had about 12 kids going up to um, Frontier Ranch, which is in, in Buena Vista, Colorado. It's, on, it's at the base or on, on the side of Mount Princeton. Mount Princeton is a 14er. Uh, if you know Colorado, it has all these peaks that are 14,000 feet plus, and, and Mount Princeton is one of the 14ers, and, and, and Frontier Ranch is at about 9,500 feet. Spectacular setting. So we take these kids to camp, and, and every week at camp, one of, the, one of the days you do a mountain climb. And so we were going to climb to the top of Mount Princeton. One of the kids on our trip, his name was Kennedy Clark. I'll never forget Kennedy. In fact, Kennedy um, actually was in my wedding. Kennedy uh, was a fun kid, jovial kid. Just everybody loved Kennedy. And Kennedy weighed in a little bit north of 300. Kennedy was a big boy. So we go, and it's, it's mountain climb day. And, and Kennedy's not really excited about this. He's not really loving this. So I go, Kennedy, we're gonna, it's going to be great, man. You're going to love We're going to be right. You can see the, it's going to be awesome. You can see forever. So we start going up. And he's making it. But we started at the kind of the front of the pack because the, the leader said, you know what? Kennedy's probably going to take a while. 400 kids in camp. We're going up and everybody's kind of passing us passing us. We get to about 12,000 feet, and Kennedy says, I'm done. I'm not going anymore. I said, come on, Kennedy, you can do it. We, so I coaxed and negotiated, and we started going, you know, 20 steps, rest. 20 steps, rest. 15 steps, rest. 
And we went at this pace for over an hour. And we got to about a thousand feet within the, with, to the peak. And Kennedy said, that's it. I'm done. And he sat his considerable self down. I looked at Kennedy with this big smile and I said, no, you're going. And so with the help of some other leaders, we got one on each arm, one on each leg, and I got my hands and put them on his glutes. And I said, we're going, baby. And so we started literally carrying Kennedy to the top. And we got, we came over the last ridge before you got to, went to the peak. And there was about 100 yards left. And when we came over that ridge we heard this roar of applause. And 400 kids gave Kennedy a standing ovation. And he he mustered all the strength that he had, and he literally sprinted the last 100 yards. It was awesome. And as I'm watching this, I hear the Holy Spirit say, Keith, that's what it's all about. You see, if I had been self-seeking, if I had been selfish, I'm kind of an outdoorsy guy. I love to backpack. I love to hike. I love the mountains. And so I would have gone at my pace with kids who were energized by this, and we would have been at the top a long time before Kennedy was. And we would have had the opportunity to enjoy the exhilaration and the, and the view for, for much longer. But at the end of the day, it would have been so much less satisfying. God's kind of love for us, true love, is not self-seeking. In one of his statements, Jesus declares his purpose. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God's kind of love calls us to look at the interests of others, not just to our own interests. And that's why the Apostle Paul writes the words that he wrote to the church in Philippi, the words that Betty read just a few moments ago. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Philippians chapter 2, or you can thumb there on your device. Philippians chapter 2, look at verses 3 and 4. And this is, this is the translation I have, and I think it's the translation of your pew Bible, but there are different translations. This says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Did you notice the second word of verse 3? What is it? Nothing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Does that seem like an impossible standard to you? I mean, nothing? Seriously? I can't do anything for myself? No, you know, new suit or new shoes? What about going to school or or saving money? 
Couldn't all of those things be considered selfish? Well, they could. Unless we understand what Paul is saying, the word that he uses for selfishness shares a root, a root form with the word strife and contentious. The, it suggests a self-preoccupation that is devoid of concern for others. It is a divisive arrogance. In the first century, writers used this word to describe politicians who, who came into office by illegal means, or, or to, they used it to describe a prostitute who seduced a client at the harm of both herself and him. You see, selfishness is an obsession with self that excludes others and in the end devalues everyone. Looking after your own personal interest is, is good life management. But doing so to the exclusion of the rest of the world is selfish. I think the, the adverb that's in verse 4 helps us. It says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You desire success? Fine. Just don't hurt others in achieving it. Want to look nice? Great. Don't just try to make don't just don't try to make others look bad while you're doing it. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is not self-seeking. But more times than I'd like to admit, I am. I um I have a routine when in preparing for sermons i try to i try to prepare my sermons weeks in advance so that they have opportunity to kind of marinate over the weeks and and i have these blocks of time in my calendar that are blocked out for study it's been a crazy fall so i'm kind of behind and i'm not as far out as i'd like to be so a couple of weeks ago was my week to be writing this sermon and Monday is a day that I block out for sermon preparation. But I was traveling on Monday, so I couldn't really do that. So I was going to try to grab time on Tuesday afternoon, and then I have another block on Wednesday morning that I was going to do. But because I'd been traveling, I had correspondence to do on Tuesday, and I was trying to play catch-up. And then Wednesday morning, some things happened. And by the end of the day, Wednesday, I had done nothing, and I was kind of getting ticked because everything else was crowding out my need to prepare. I mean, don't these people understand my calling? I mean, don't they understand that, that you know, there's hungry souls that need my insights? There's emaciated minds that need me to fill them? You know, even the angels are, are lining up to hear what I have to say. And so, you know, I'm getting upset. And I'm, I'm, I'm ungrateful. And I'm even getting a little bit surly. I mean, my attitude was less than loving. But apparently God determined to change that. 
Because on Friday at 1 p.m. a week ago, when I sat down and opened this text, verses 3 and 4 just hit me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vacancy, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. You know the, the text in Hebrews that says that the Word of God is a sword? Well, it impaled me. And just as a doctor diagnoses a disease, this text declared mine. Keith, you're selfish. Keith, you are self-seeking. And that was not what I wanted to hear, but it's what I needed to hear. I was self-absorbed. I couldn't see my blessings. I couldn't see the opportunities in front of me. True love builds up relationships. Selfishness erodes them. Love says, how can I serve? Selfishness says, what's in it for me? Love puts the focus on others. Selfishness puts the focus on, well, self. There is no I in love. No wonder Paul is so urgent when he says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. In fact, Jesus' brother James says, he says, whenever people are envious and selfish, they cause trouble and do all sorts of cruel things. But aren't we born selfish? Aren't we? So if we are, what can we do about it? I mean, it's part of our DNA. Better asked, how can we get the I out of ourself. How can we get the eye out of our eye? According to Scripture, we can. Look back up at verses 1 and 2 in this text. Paul says, if you have any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do you see Paul's sarcasm a little bit? Any encouragement? (laughs) Any comfort? Any fellowship? Yeah. Then Lighten up. Smile. What's the cure for selfishness? Get yourself out of your eye by getting your eye off of yourself. Quit staring, at, quit staring through the eye lens and focus on your great Savior. Focus on the love of Jesus. And that's what Paul says in verse 5. He says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And what was his attitude? It wasn't self-seeking. Verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Think about that for a minute. 
You are Jesus, and you are in very nature God, which means that, that you are God in every way. You have all, all the omnis working for you. You're om, you know, omnipresent, uh, omniscient, omnipotent, omnivorous. Well, maybe not that last one. But, but you've got all the omnis working for you, all the power of God at your disposal. You are Jesus. You're in very nature God. What are you going to do with that? If it's me, it looks a lot like the movie Bruce Almighty. Remember that? Jim Carrey, just kind of, you know, I'm doing what I want, whenever I want, however I want, for me. Not Jesus. He didn't see the authority as something to be grasped. The, the Greek word is the word harpagmos. And I think the translation that Betty read translates it well, that it's not something to be used for your advantage. Paul is saying that Jesus, in every way God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage. Rather, Jesus demonstrates his godness in a way that that few, if any of us, would expect. He shows us that God's power, God's glory, God's greatness, God's love is best expressed in emptying himself and taking the form of a what? A servant. In other words, Jesus shows us that to be God is to be a servant. See, rather than being self-seeking, self-sacrificing and self-giving love turns out to be the most God-like thing a human being can do. Erwin McManus wrote in his book, Uprising, if we push ourselves to the top, if we are self-seeking, we are pushing our way, ourselves away from the presence of God. But when we move ourselves to the place of servanthood, we join God in his eternal purpose. When we serve others, we look strangely like God. When we operate in self-seeking ways, when we keep the eye in our eye, when we, out of selfish ambition, grasp for things so that we can use them for our advantage, we are moving away from the love of God. And in the end, we hurt others and hurt ourselves. Paul says the way to keep from doing that is to focus on Jesus and focus on his love. If you turn back one page to Ephesians chapter 3, these are words that that Paul writes to the Christians in Ephesus. And he's sharing with them the prayer that he's praying for them. And in the middle of verse 17, he says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, we're we're established by God's love. We're rooted. That's where our, our nutrients come from. We're rooted in his love that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to, to grasp 
To grasp what? To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know epigonosco and experiential knowing. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may what? Be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You see, we think that if we don't self-seek, if we don't do it ourselves, if we don't climb the ladder ourselves, we're not going to be filled. But what Paul is saying is that if we will know the love of God and if we'll live out of that love, then we'll experience the fullness of God. We'll experience the fullness of life. Jesus came that we might have abundant life, that we might have a life that goes beyond anything that we could ever dream or imagine. And the way that we can live in that love, the way that we can live out of that love, is by living in the love that God has for us. And then we live that way toward others. And his love is not self-seeking. His love is self-giving and self-sacrificing. When we live in that love and then love others in that way, we experience more of the fullness of life. And that, Paul says, is something to be grasped. I have a friend who is an Anglican minister. And... I asked him one time why he, why he always, at the end of his prayers, why he finishes with the sign of the cross. And he said, when I touch my forehead and my chest, it makes a capital I. But when I touch one shoulder and then the other, it cuts the I in half. I love that. Isn't that what the cross does? It makes us smaller and Jesus bigger. It cuts the eye in half. There is no eye in love. When we grumble and complain, it's because we're looking at life through the eye lens. I had a conversation just this week with a person who was telling me about this relationship they were in and and that they really loved this other person, but this person was asking them to do something that, well, I just won't do that. And it wasn't sinful. And I said, but that's not the language of love when you say, I love you, but I won't do. But that's what we do. We focus on self. Yeah. Yeah, you know, these people, they just just aren't treating me fairly. These people just don't understand that I've got to finish this sermon on selfishness. (laughs) Don't focus on yourself. Focus on all that you have in Christ. Christ. If Christ becomes our focus, if we live in his encouragement and his fellowship and his tenderness and his compassion and his comfort, if we live in his love, then we will cut the I in half. We won't be self-seeking. We will love others with the love that Jesus has for us.
And it won't be about grasping for advantage. It will be about grasping his love and living in the fullness of life. You see, true love is not about me. It's about us. It's not about looking at life through the lens of self. It's about looking at life through the lens of one another. Paul told the Galatians, he said, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. What was the law of Christ? Love one another. Love one another. You see, when we love one another with Jesus' kind of love, we carry each other's burdens. We help each other get to the top of Mount Princeton. At the end of at the end of camp last night, everybody sits in in a circle in the cabin, and and you go around and and you hear the highlight of the week from everybody. We're going around the circle, and we get to Big Kennedy. Said Kennedy, what what was the highlight of your week? And he said, without hesitation, the mountain climb. Oh, and by the way, when when we got to the top of Mount Princeton, including Kennedy, anybody want to guess what we took? A group picture. Let me pray for us. Lord, as I've told you a number of times over the last couple of weeks, uh, I don't really like this. But I need it. I need the mirror to show me how big the I is in my life. And that I need to at least cut it in half. More than that. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a community of faith to focus on you, to focus on the love that you have for us, to focus on the love that you displayed to us and for us, to enter into that love and then to live out of that love. Lord, help us every day to ask the question, am I self-seeking in this? Lord, help, help us every day to, to grasp the right thing, not grasp for our advantage, but grasp so that we might experience your love, experiencing the fullness of your life. 
so that we can then invite others into it. We pray this for your name's sake.